Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hello and welcome to Film Chat, a podcast all about the end of the world, as experienced by a group of people at a diner at the edge of the Mojave Desert. They are visited by a crazy handsome man with a lovely smooth English accent and a strong physical resemblance to the tennis player Peter Colt in the film Wimbledon. The man explains that he's the Archangel Michael, and God has decided to exterminate mankind in a bunch of horrifying ways. Their only chance of survival is to protect the diner's pregnant waitress, as her son is destined to be the saviour of mankind. This is all a bit like that 2010 Paul Bettany film Legion, says the waitress. Very similar, says Michael. The main difference is those two guys over there having a cup of tea and recording a podcast in which they talk about and review films. One of them is Sam Foster and the other is Danny Moran. Let's go over there and find out what they're discussing this week. Oh, oh, hello. It is spooky week on Film Chat as we review two films that gave us wind and put the willies up us. Sorry, uh, I've read that wrong. Two films that gave us the willies and put the wind up us. What an unfortunate and smutty mistake. We both tackled Tank Cloverfield Lane, the J.J. Abrams-produced thriller that may or may not be a sequel to the 2008 film Cloverfield, and I reviewed The Witch, which is definitely about a witch. Plus, we look at the casting surrounding upcoming film Battle of the Sexes, a film that combines my two favourite things, tennis and ladies, and wonder whether Paul McCartney's upcoming cameo in Pirates of the Caribbean 5 will be the artistic highlight of his career, all of which should give me enough time Execute Order 66. Execute Order 66. Yep. All the Jedi are gone now. On with the show. Well done. Films, 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 lots of films, 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 films. He's good films, bad films, fun films, sad films, films we love, weird films, Lars von Trier films. So, uh, Sam, what's Dougal uh, said this week? Nothing. What? So disappointing. Aww. No come from Dougal, no sort of naughty cum jokes from him this week. Oh, dude. <laughs> we had such fun discussing last time. No, but another regular um, writer in a, has written in. That's Chris Young. He writes, Hi, Film Chat. Would you ever buy one of these tickets? If so, for which film? I personally think you would have to be insane to buy one for Batman v Superman. And he has linked 
that comment to you, um, an article on ScreenRant.com. Basically, the cinema chain Regal Cinemas has released a special kind of deluxe kind of a ticket that you can get called an unlimited ticket for Batman versus Superman, and you pay $100, and you can see it as many times as you want in Regal Cinemas. Yeah, you know, for the and whole the card is like shiny out. and engraved or something? Or? I think Yeah, I think the card is sort of... Uh, they tried to make it the sort of thing that you'd want to own if you're like a nutcase. Sure. Yeah. I did a little research into Regal Cinema's general pricing, which was trickier sure, than you I think. Me- I meant to do that, actually, and I forgot to. Well, uh, their website is hard to navigate. Regal Cinema's sorted out, okay? It was a total mess. Because <laughs> uh, they list all the different formats you can see the film in. Yeah. All no- and it varies from place to place. So as a sort of rough ballpark figure... They vary in price, ticket prices, between 15 and $17.50. So to get your money's worth, you see the film six times, and then you're breaking even. That so is. You're a, bit above, you're a bit above even. You slightly, it's slightly efficient. Yeah, so, yeah. But that's really only a good idea if you had already wanted to see it six times anyway. Yeah. Have you, what is the most times you've ever been to see a single film in its theatrical run? Twice. Yeah, I don't think I've been more than twice. I've seen... Actually, I've seen The Dark Knight. I, I saw it twice at the cinema, and then I saw it once in IMAX screening. Right. That's. But does that count? Because that's like a sort of separate... That's a separate one. You wouldn't, that wouldn't work in Regal. Yeah. Unless you can... I saw the film King Arthur twice in the cinema. Did you? <laughs> remember the film King Arthur? Yeah, I do. remember it well. Why that. did I see that twice, Sam? Why would I do that? Well, who was it with? Well, those were two different groups of people, you know. It was like a sort of, we're going to the movies. Was it your idea both times? Because that's, that's what would make it no, weird. it wasn't. It wasn't. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think it's excusable then. I wouldn't do it for any film, but it's not even financially sensible. No, it isn't. <laughs> it's, it's strange. On Screen Rant, they describe this as an anodized 0.5mm black stainless steel card showcasing a laser-cut Batman symbol with a Superman glyph at its center, which is visible on both sides and colorized on the card's front. Recipients will receive their cards with their name permanently inscribed on the back. It doesn't fade. It's there forever. And will be required to show proof of ID upon arrival at the theater, meaning the cards are not transferable. Jesus. I mean, it's like a form... It's basically about as powerful as a passport. It's like <laughs> an incredibly... <laughs> rigorous form of personal identification which are getting for you a hundred dollars i just imagine there's some big batman superman fan out there who got this and now the reviews have come out and slated it and he's like i'm just gonna go see it five more times yeah. and then i'm breaking even i'm gonna make it <laughs> i feel like whoever it was at regal cinemas who came up with this particular idea is probably was you know a little upset when they saw the critical reaction the mauling yeah i mean that's probably the big story of the week Batman v Superman came out and it got kicked in the pants by pretty much everyone. I mean, you know, there's a few critics that liked it, but it's safe to say that it's not the reception they were hoping for. No. It's been sort of roundly shat on. Yeah, shat on. (laughs) (laughs) um, And in quite an entertaining way, I actually really enjoyed reading some of the reviews. Um, And I think there's worse ways to spend your time. I'm going to go see it. I'm excited to go see it. Yeah, me too. Me too. The opinionated man that I am, I want to weigh in with my own, you know... Yeah, I mean, first of all, there's just the thing where, you know, you don't want to be left out of any big cultural talking point, and this is obviously one of them. Uh, And also, I think Zack Snyder makes films that are bad in a more interesting way than other bad directors. You know, like Paul W.S. Anderson or Michael Bay, and they make very generically bad films. 
Whereas Zack Snyder is someone who thinks he's making really great films, like works of art, essentially, in the comic book um, arena. And uh, but but he's not, not a very good storyteller. No. And they're, they're very messy and they're like thematically weird and um, kind of packed full of symbolism, which he doesn't have a good handle on. And so it's just kind of interesting to pour over afterwards and just be like, what? And they're also <laughs> super duper macho, um, which can be quite entertaining when it's, yeah. when it's just silly. I'm psyched. I'm quite psyched for it. I want to see the bit where Batman is like shirtless, swinging a sledgehammer at a tire or something. Apparently that happens. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, that was great and he's like there's a whole dream sequence and it's full of like really obvious christian imagery like uh well it's the easter weekend yeah that's right and what jesus is... and superman is like christ right yeah he's like space christ well someone probably said that to Zack snyder and he was like that is brilliant i'm gonna fill my film with crucifixes and you know halos and yeah he's like jesus slash moses right yeah one of the criticisms that makes it seem a bit less fun to see is the um, criticism that Superman just sort of acts like a dick. Um, and you kind of get that impression from the trailers where he doesn't really say anything in the trailers, but he just kind of looks and frowns and kind of pouts Yeah. while various people say things to him. And it's like, that's no, doesn't seem like that much fun, you know? Yeah, Batman's a dick. Superman's, that's yeah. the clash of personalities, They're supposed right? to be really different. Like, Batman is supposed to be a bit of a dick, and Superman is a friendly, lovely guy. You could probably have lunch with him. Yeah, he's, a, it, he's the Boy Scout, right? Is there any reason why you couldn't have lunch with Superman when he was in his, like, not just as Clark Kent, but just, you know, dressed as Superman? You could probably hang out with him. Yeah. You know, he'd probably be nice to chill with. I, out of all this, yeah, he'd be in my, my top five superheroes to chill with. Does he make jokes? Um... No. <laughs> I'm trying to think of the movies, like, not really. Maybe he doesn't have much of a sense of humour. He's a bit earnest. Yeah. Yeah. So he's like, I mean, maybe he'll be a bit boring to have lunch with, but better than Batman, maybe. He's like your female friend's boring but very nice boyfriend. You don't really see, you're kind of like, you know, you, yeah. you approve, but you're like, wouldn't write home to him about him, you know? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> It's not like a best friend, but you can, you're like, he's nice. Yeah, right. Exactly. You just, he's a good person, but you just wouldn't want to spend that much time with him. Yeah, he wouldn't be stuck with him in a dinner party situation. Well, that's the sort of Superman we want on our screens. Yes. Or is this guy is more like the boyfriend guest. is just a sort of mopey, miserable, angsty dick. Yeah. You disapprove of, and you're like, you can do better, Lois. Yeah, You can do better. So um, I'm, I'm genuinely quite um, stoked for Batman v Superman. I really hope it's like terrible i don't think that's um putting me in the most like neutral position before i go in but i it will be fun to there's nothing worse than like an average movie right yeah it's it's got to be a real disaster or like terrible but like in an entertaining way it's got to be i want it to be the room of batman um comic book book movies exactly yeah so yeah next week next week superhero films announced casting rumors leaking out m night Shyamalan's film is hated paul thomas anderson's is fated meryl streep's oscar tipped matt damon's in a viral vid michael bay's made a mint that's the news that's fit to print i had not really clocked that they were making another pirates of the caribbean film i saw three but the fourth was just too far it was a step too far but obviously not for you know, audiences around the world, as it made enough money to justify a fifth one. So the fifth part of the Caribbean movie is called Dead Men Tell No Tales. And um, apparently they've been shooting for some time, but the crew has recently reconvened to shoot a new big set piece that they're inserting into the movie. Ooh. They must have been looking at the rushes and were like, this film is boring as shit. We need <laughs> to have a big explosion in the middle somewhere. 
And the guy that they've got, they've sort of brought in to be, you know, at the center of the big set piece is for some reason Paul McCartney. People, <laughs> obviously, it's, it's actually kind of interesting how this went, right? Because, like, famously, Johnny Depp modeled his performance as Captain Jack Sparrow on Keith Richards, right? Yeah. And then in the third Pirates of the Caribbean movie, they literally had Keith Richards in it. I think he's in the fourth one as well. Is he in the fourth one as yeah. well? Yeah. Well, he's in it as his dad, right? Yeah. So they, so they were like, um, let's actually get him in. Why not? We can yeah, do anything. Sure. It's Hollywood. And now they're like, you know what's really great in the Pirates of the Caribbean films? Old rock stars. They work so well. And so they called up Sir Paul McCartney. Do you think this is a new way to conclusively settle the argument what's better, the Beatles or the Stones? They, right. Each band has, set, has sent a ambassador of the band to play an old pirate in a movie. <laughs> <laughs> and we'll be able to judge... Which one's better? And whoever's a better pirate means their band is better. Yeah. Or they just fight to the death in the film. And the yeah. film pretty much tells us which one is better. You know, Paul McCartney it... will just gouge the eyes out of Keith Richards and fling him into the sea. And then it is very strange because Keith Richards, even though it's a bit of stunt casting, and but it kind of it fitted with the movie. And I thought he was actually quite good in it. Yeah. Or was like, you know, it, wasn't, it was an incredible performance. <laughs> it was amazing. But he was fine in it. Yeah. Whereas... Paul McCartney is just... I can't imagine him not... Well, I don't think he's a great actor. Yeah, but, like, Keith Richards sort of convinced as, like, a sort of drunk pirate, because that's sort of what he is in real life. Whereas Paul McCartney is just, you know... Well, you know yeah. well, maybe he won't maybe. be a pirate. Maybe he'll just be, like, you know, the Duke's, like, uncle or something. <laughs> I've written this song all about, you know, pirates and that. <laughs> yeah? Yeah. I hope so. Are there any Beatles songs about pirates or, like... Well, there's Yellow Submarine. There's Submarine. That's, that's the most nautical that you yeah, get is the Beatles, other, I think. The most nautical Beatles. <laughs> I'm the walrus. <laughs> they might see a walrus from the ship. <laughs> well, that's a Lennon song anyway. So. Damn. Um, I don't know. That's a good question. I hope he really clumsily like changed the lyrics to a famous song, he's Beatles song to be about pirates. Oh man, this is where we should have prepared this segment beforehand. Maybe you can sail my boat. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, can't. There's got to be a, a. I don't have good spontaneous wit. Oh, you everyone. know the Beatles man, I do. There must be a way we can cross over. But I have too many. You know, I've got too many song titles in my head, man. It's just like they're all swirling around in there. I can't. Hard to find one. Turn it into a gag. Okay. You know what? We'll just continue. We'll be back next week. That's you know what? Let's just think about it as a recording and then we'll get <laughs> Katie just to drop it in later. Yeah. Anyway, I got a good idea. How about this? Great. So Katie will either put a gag in there or just the sound of like tumbleweed or something. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> or maybe when this movie actually comes out, we can just do a whole medley of Beatles pirate tunes sure <laughs> and that will make up for this like you know lackluster performance right now yeah um dead men tell no tales is coming to our shores on may the 26th 2017 so they probably have a little bit more time if they want to shoot any extra set pieces with any other aging rock stars yeah who might be around get jeff lynn from the yellow in there or something and... yeah they just like yeah they can have a big power bob battle dylan with or something jeff. like that <laughs> Bob Dylan on the horizon, so you can't really see him that clearly. Just like his sort of silhouette of his big hat as he's yeah. doing one of his incomprehensible renditions of his famous songs. Um, yeah, so that's one to um, probably be more excited for the weird old rock stars than anything else about the film. 
<laughs> yeah, sounds great. Looking forward to it. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Sam, I know you love tennis. I love I know tennis. You love the ladies, like I do. I love ladies. And there's a film that combines those two things, which is called Battle of the Sexes, which is now filming and is a film all about the legendary match between Bobby Riggs and Billie Jean King in the early 70s to decide once and for all, could a lady beat a man at tennis? Ooh, Ooh what a crazy notion. Yes. And um, Could any one woman beat any one man? <laughs> any one woman. And Emma Stone is playing Billie Jean King, and Steve Carell is playing Bobby Riggs, and it's got a script by Simon Beaufort, who wrote Slumdog Millionaire and Full Monty and... 127 hours and originally i believe that danny boyle was attached to this but he's doing something else so the directors that are helming it are the little miss sunshine and ruby sparks directors jonathan dayton and valerie farris who obviously worked with steve carell on that movie yeah that's so it's cool. a bit of a reunion so i mean obviously wimbledon is a classic mm. in the tennis genre but it's a underrepresented sport on film i would say yeah not many tennis movies yeah and this sounds like it will be judging from the casting the directors i'm guessing a sort of comic drama yeah you know probably a bit funny but you know with some i mean like i don't know where steve corral is going to pitch his performance but maybe we'll know when we see the first poster and we know how many how much prosthetics he's wearing yeah is it foxcatcher or is it (laughs) or is it anchorman too or is it like the big short yeah it's got a wig but it's still kind of a comic performance you know um. Yeah, but I'm 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 kind of I'm kind of intrigued. It I'm sounds intrigued. good. I mean, I'm up for um, tennis comedy after um, that thing that Andy Samberg did. Five, <laughs> what's it called? Seven Days in Hell. Or something? Five Days in Hell. Five Days in Hell. Yeah, that was amazing. That was quite off the wall. Uh, I don't know if this will be exactly like that, but um, yeah, I think tennis has got a lot of cinematic value, which has gone under tapped hmm. because it's two people duking it out. You got loads of big personalities. You know, it, that's why it's good. That's why it's a great spectator sport. It's like boxing, but with balls, right? Yeah. But it, it's probably <laughs> less... I said that, it sounded ridiculous. Boxing with balls. Boxing with balls. <laughs> Someone <laughs> finally put the balls into boxing. Yeah. Yes. Um, it's probably a little less cinematic than boxing. Yeah, but... But, I, but more cinematic than, like, football. Exactly. I yeah. think as, the, as popular sports go, it's got the most potential. Maybe, like, when... People are making sporting movies. They want sports where people like physically collide into one another. That's why those are just American football ones. Yeah. But there's not very many rugby movies for some reason. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> but then they do do baseball films, and that is a team ball sport. So tennis, judging from the sort of how we're you know putting these like things in a row here, tennis should be better, right, than yeah. baseball because team sports are less cinematic in a way because like you don't have the personalities. Like the single personalities facing off against each other. So, shouldn't tennis? Why aren't there more tennis movies than baseball movies? That's what I want to know. Yeah, cause exactly. And Wimbledon was a fucking masterpiece. So, why yeah. is it taking so long for them to get around to making another tennis based movie? Speaking of like Battle of the Sexes and Wimbledon, that had some great gender sort of tennis politics in it, 
where it had that incredible mechanism where Paul Bettany plays uh, better after he's had sex. Yeah. And um, Kirsten Dunst. Kirsten Dunst plays plays worse worse after she's had sex. Yeah, yeah. So it's very important for their tournaments if they have sex. And if they do, she, like, gets fucked up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But he does really well. So how do they, you know... That's how they tied the ROM into the tennis. Yeah. That's why there's no sequel to that movie, because for them to both have successful careers, one of them would have to, like, lose. Or they'd have to fuck each other other people, or... Yeah. Like, what would go on? Yeah, and maybe the second movie is all about him, his search for the woman who also what does better postcoitally <laughs> at tennis. <laughs> maybe it's about well, like, he's trying to find that one drug that will reverse her postcoital <laughs> slump. <laughs> it's at the U.S. Open and he's just got major blue balls because Kazanovs <laughs> refuses to sleep. He's like jerking off all the time and he just like just can't get the performance. I just need to have sex with a woman. Yeah. That's woman, and she won't have sex with him. So he cheats on her, and that's like, you know, <laughs> yeah. that's the problem. And she knows she's cheated on, he's cheated on her because he plays really well. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Like, yeah. She goes to see him play, and he, like, aces it. No she's tennis like, pun we intended. haven't had sex in a week. Yeah. So anyway, Wimbledon 2 <laughs> aside, um, Battle this of the Sexes. is also going to be a good tennis film, upcoming tennis film. I, I like I like those people. Those are very charming actors. Steve Carell and Emma Stone are good on screen together, you know, from Crazy Stupid Love. Yeah. So, yeah. So, yeah. Yes. Bring it on. Let battle commence. And now for Danny to review a film he recently saw. Was it staggeringly brilliant? Was it ask we poor? How did Danny fall the judgment? We're about to hear his thoughts. If he does a rubbish job, then Sam will tell him off. So The Witch, this is the debut film of writer and director Robert Eggers. And to briefly go over the plot, it's set in 1630, which is 60 years before the Salem Witch Trials, uh, in the New World somewhere. You're not quite sure it's set. And at the start of the film, uh, a farmer called William and his wife, Catherine, and their five children, which consist of uh, Thomasina, who's about 15, Caleb, who's about 10, the twins, Mercy and Jonas, about five, and the baby, Sam. These, they have sex every five years, apparently. Okay. And uh, at the start, they leave this plantation and denounce all the residents as false Christians. These Puritans are too Puritan for the Puritans. Uh, very pious people. And they start a farm at the edge of the woods and uh, begin to build a life there. And then one day, while Thomasina is caring for baby Sam, baby Sam disappears. And they all tell themselves that a wolf took it, uh, took the baby that is, but they all secretly believe something more sinister is afoot. And as more misfortune befalls the family, suspicion and paranoia mounts between them and threatens to tear them apart. Oh dear. And here is a clip, a sort of clip trailer, which gives you a sense of the kind of mood and the spookiness. <laughs> Of the witch. I have come to steal you. Clackety clackety. Black Phillips, if you are wicked, does he really speak to thee? We are your servants, we are he men. Black Phillips keeps the lives from the lives. This is not so. It's not safe, not with them. That's very unsettling. I'm a bit, I don't. I don't like how I feel now. <laughs> I think I won't enjoy your review. So I, uh, I loved it. I totally loved it. I thought it was great. It's a very impressive, original, atmospheric chiller. I would say, which really stays with you. And this might be an odd way to start a review, but I was impressed by how it overturns something which is a sort of standard in horror movies and a problem in period films. 
which is the audience's relationship to the characters on screen. And yeah, I'm not an expert in horror movies, but it always feels like quite a crowded genre and it's so loaded with uh, tropes and conventions that it's hard to do something new in it. And it's often you feel like movies are often like brushing up against other films. And it's often the case where as an audience, uh, you're put in this objective position and it's like the characters in the film have never seen a horror film. Yeah, and yeah. That's often that's not necessarily a problem. There's a certain sort of like pantomime aspect to some horror movies in that, like they set up, you know, things that are going to happen, and you're like, you know, don't go in the door. There's something down there, or whatever. Um, but this film doesn't do that, and there's also uh, something in period films, especially one set ages ago, is that there's a certain distance created by a modern audience perspective of the world as opposed to the characters they're mm. watching especially if the character is discussing science or the beliefs of the day and you can't help but feel that like these are these unenlightened people and it kind of puts you on a slight pedestal above them but what's really really clever about this movie is that you see the witch like five minutes in and it's not clear whether the witch is real or whether the movie's just showing you that or you're just watching what they think might be happening in the woods but what it does is it instantly realigns the audience's headspace with the characters. And so instead of it being a film about unfounded paranoia between like these sort of, you know, unenlightened people, you're completely with the characters and you like start questioning everything in the way they would. Yeah. So, so you understand the threat. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And this is um, sort of reinforced by a really, really spooky atmosphere, which is partly in the direction. And there's a very uneasy nature to where everything's short. Everything like, lingers a bit too long and it's like the camera is uneasy even though, like the shots are sort of pastoral life you're like what's gonna happen next yeah it's really really creepy like that and the cinematography by this guy called jaron blanche is really impressive in that it was shot in canada but it makes it everything look super alien and you get a sense that these people have just come from england and, and like gone the to this of the place world. and they're like you know the, half the map is just blank yeah, you know, yeah. they don't know what they don't know what's two miles south of them and you know you get that feeling and the director also gets uniformly amazing performances from the cast ralph ennison who you've heard briefly in that clip is the dad and is probably best known as playing finchy from the office the sort of bullish twat character but he's great uh partly it's his amazing not like northern brogue which is just like i don't know very commanding but it's like it's a very committed performance about a very committed person but it's full of vulnerability and it's like he's lived his life to the letter of the Bible um, and he's like trying to be a good person. And it's what's kind of clever about the film. And maybe it's a bit subversive depending on your point of view, but it's like what's the psychological realism of a place of if the Old Testament was true? It's like if you believe in the Bible, like you just you've got this immense guilt your entire life. You try and live your life to like this crazy standard you can't possibly live up to, and the slightest trespass, you get punished in horrible ways, and you think it's your fault. Yeah, yeah. And it's that, it's like tears them apart. And Kate Dickey, who's the mum, is probably best known as the crazy woman from Game of Thrones, who the the retarded kid. And oh, the, the one is like her, she's um, breastfeeding a child, even yeah. like 11. And it's a bit of a sort of retread of like bereaved women on the edge of sanity, but she's very good at that. But they're in a way almost outshone by the performances by the kids and Anna Taylor Joy who plays Thomasina is just like a movie star she's like you know we, I feel like 
over the course of film chat we've discussed a few people who just have like a certain presence about them mm. and she's definitely one of them and like there's just certain people you can point a camera at them and you just want to know more yeah and yeah then, like she has that quality which kind of plays into the film because it's like what's going on with her character <laughs> that's how i felt about the whole movie what's gonna happen <laughs> what's gonna happen where are they the little chinese guys haven't done anything and uh but the standout is this guy the kid who plays caleb who's the second oldest who is played by an actor rather magnificently named harvey scrimshaw it's like i can't I, like harvius harvey scrimshaw harvey scrimshaw okay i thought it was, I was like, is that his character's name or his actual name it's like it's his actual name and he's amazing in it. And one of the themes of the movie is um, the idea of adolescence and um, the way people's idea of witchcraft is kind of tied up with uh, women, sorry, girls becoming women or like the dawn of like sexual feelings and stuff and how they're like really terrified and repressed by that. Yeah. And he's like this boy on the cusp of adolescence and he's like, you know, he's very religious at the same time. And he's like all torn up with guilt. And he really like plays that amazingly well. And plus, he's got to deal with all this Jacobean dialogue, right? And yeah, I was yeah. Like, which is like even more impressive for a kid to do. I feel definitely. And so he was great. I don't want really to go too much into the plot, but it's a film that constantly surprised me. And um, so you started, you were like, "What's gonna happen?" And then something <laughs> happened. You were like, "Whoa!" Well, I would Ooh, say like that. a more generic film would have the reveal of the witch right at the end. Or, you know, build to that. But the fact that it happens five minutes in, which isn't too much, isn't really a spoiler to say, is just a testament to how confident the film is and how it's going in a different direction to most horror movies. I don't know if it's, I don't know enough about horror movies, but it felt very, very original. And it's not that it's subverting your expectations necessarily, but it's more like it's doing its own thing, but you've got a bit of baggage as an audience going into it. But um, yeah, and it's not relying on jump scares or gore it's just more quietly and consistently menacing the whole way through and it's got a very satisfying ending like the ending is the best bit of the movie and it's like 90 minutes and it's like you feel like the movie's like done everything but at the same time it's open to interpretation i still haven't quite figured it out cool sounds awesome when Graf heard something that changed his life what he listened to when John Cusack made a mixtape for his future wife, what did she listen to? And when Michael Madsen cut a guy's ear off, what was he dancing to? And when Tim Robbins showed Shawshank that he had enough, which record did he choose? Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, so 10 Cloverfield Lane. This is a psychological thriller and in cinemas at the moment has been described as a barred relative of the 2008 monster film Cloverfield, um, which was a kind of handheld movie. You remember it, don't you? You've probably yeah, seen it. I remember that. Yeah. Um, it was set in New York about a giant monster ravaging the city. And uh, this one is quite different. Um, it's about a girl called Michelle, played by Mary Elizabeth Winstead. She's a young lady having a very unpleasant afternoon. She throws all of her belongings into a suitcase and she just drives drives away, ignores her BF on her phone. And then things go from bad to worse. Her car crashes. She wakes up in a cellar with her leg chained to the wall and an eccentric fat man called, <laughs> <laughs> called Howard arrives, played by John Goodman. He tells her that 
He hasn't kidnapped her, but he's actually rescued her as there's been some kind of massive disaster outside. The world has ended and the air is unbreathable and they just have to stay in his special nuclear apocalypse bunker until it all blows over. And they hang out um, along with a third man called Emmett, played by a guy called John Gallagher Jr. Here's a clip of Howard encouraging Michelle to use the loo when she's not that keen on doing so. This is my private space. Off limits, unless I give express permission. Go ahead. Me too. You will, though. And I've got to pace these things out, so please. I need privacy. You're welcome to close the curtain. I can't with you standing there. And I can't trust you not to burn this place down. This is for my own safety. I'm not some pervert. Just go. Genius. Genius. So I sort of deliberately picked the most boringest clip I could find because um, this movie will be better directly proportional to how much you know about it going in, I think. Not that it's incredibly brilliant or has genius reveals, but just that if it you you know that if you have that sense of discovery when you're watching it the whole way through that will enhance your viewing experience um and that's one of the interesting issues which we'll probably talk about a bit later with calling it 10 cloverfield lane and relating it to this giant monster movie um that it loads up the audience with these expectations about the contents of the film uh, before you see it in a way that somewhat undercuts or at least disturbs the kind of narrative of discovery that you get with these kinds of mystery films so um we both enjoyed it, right? Yeah. We had a good time. I, I liked it. It's like, it's, it's um, yeah, it's kind of not an incredible or incredibly deep film, but it's um, very competently made by a first-time uh, feature director called Dan Trachtenberg. And um, it's uh, has its sort of little toolbox of things in this small group of characters, and it does a good job of keeping the tension going um, and uh, feeding you just enough to sort of uh, keep you into it and goes to some curious places, certainly right at the end. Um, yeah, I would say it's sort of like it's a fun, quite dumb movie that's quite forgettable, but it's and it rehashes a lot of familiar things and some more successfully than others. And um, Dan Trachtenberg is probably most famous before that he's not well he's not at all famous but he came to prominence for directing this short film called portal no escape which was like a sort of live action version of the portal game about people using the portal gun oh cool i didn't know that and there's definitely a very much a video game aesthetic to the film and it's a bit like a locker room mystery where it's like every single object in the movie will be used at some point yeah but i like that i think and, that's yeah but that's i just think like that. there's a certain mechanical nature to the script in that everything is a setup for a payoff. And there's a certain uh, fun, like funness in watching, hey, that thing from 20 minutes ago is now doing this. Off. Yeah. yeah. Um, but I've, I think it lacked, it felt a bit hollow to me. It felt like, it was a bit more, it felt like a product. It's a, I think that it's, it's just a genre piece. It's not really saying anything, but it's just, uh, I think that's quite a key aspect, you know, that you, um, you've got to make use of all the materials at your disposal, especially if your whole film was basically set in like two rooms. So I kind of liked it. Yeah, um, I, I just mean it in the sense that I don't know. Like, I mean, would you I, still feel that way if it wasn't called Cloverfield? Yeah, I just mean 
it's it's a little machine they've made yeah and you know this character of she could be called anything it doesn't matter and like you she's just mary elizabeth winstead i don't i've forgotten her name i have no idea michelle michelle it's not important (laughs) yeah but it's true the characters are not particularly well drawn um howard is i mean he's probably the person who gets the most you know kind of character development but that's very much tied up in plot reveals so it's just like he acts creepy when he needs to and he acts benevolent when he needs to, you know, to drive yeah. the plot forwards. Um, and yeah, and she is very much just a kind of person in a scary place trying to figure it out. I, I think maybe what I'm trying to say is that I felt, I think I saw, you know, the strings on the puppets move a bit too often. Right, right. You know, and it didn't successfully hide the craft of what they were making. Yeah. In a way which I felt they could have done. Yeah. You know. I also felt like it was a little bit over-reliant on underscoring, especially at the beginning, when um, she's first uh, put into this strange situation of being in this cellar and stuff and trying to figure her, you know, her way out. And um, it's a movie that really is led by the score and what happens in the score, so that you know, there'll be, like, creepy kind of strings and, like, loud music will start blaring and stuff, and you'll <laughs> know that something... There's a reason that's about to appear that will, you know, explain why it's scary now. You know yeah, what I mean? Yeah. yeah. It's like, something spooky's gonna happen now! <laughs> you know, but nothing is really happening yet. It's just like, it's gonna have to at some point. Like, if you took the score away, then it would just be her sitting in a room, you know? Yeah. I felt the performances were much better than the dialogue. Yeah, the performances were very, very um, good. John Goodman does a good job with his character, which they try and sort of... I think one of the uh, flaws of the movie is they try and make this sort of tightrope walk of like, is Howard dangerous or is he just a well-meaning, you know, nutter? Yeah. Uh, But things happen in the first 20 minutes of the film, I think, which will make you side on one of those. Yeah. And then it keeps on trying to sort of play with expectations. Like, I've already made up my mind, movie. You know, you can't play. I've already settled on one decision. Yeah, yeah. But he brings a bit more nuance than is not necessarily in the writing. And I think um, Mary Elizabeth Winstead, I was wondering whether, there's probably uh, an, an essay about this, wonder horror movies, with the exception of maybe rom-coms, provide the most leading roles for women. I see what you mean, yeah. And it's not a me- gr- filmmakers like to put women in danger. <laughs> yeah, maybe that's it. Yeah. And um, it rem- her performance reminded me a bit of uh, Alison Lohman's performance in Drive Me to Hell, in that it's not a great character, but she's completely like, owning it. And it's cool. It's a bit like... Um, you know, it's cool to see a protagonist sort of go through hell and come through on the other side. That's the sort of satisfying nature of the movie. So, like, you know, you sort of root for her. Definitely. And I, I think um, characters like that are kind of a blank canvas on which actors can project as much as they want. Yeah. It was written by a pair of people I've never heard of called Josh Campbell and Matthew Stuck and, and also uh, had a rewrite by Damien Chazelle, the director of Whiplash, yeah. which I mentioned not to make a point, but just because I found it kind of interesting. <laughs> well, he also co-wrote... Um, Caro Grand Piano, which was another sort of B movie thriller. Oh, I didn't, I hadn't heard of that. Grand Piano. Yeah, have you not heard of a Grand Piano? No. <laughs> it's on Netflix. Okay. Elijah Woods playing a. He's had a breakdown. Grand Piano. He's playing a Grand Piano. He's a pianist. <laughs> and then he gets a call, like a sniper saying, like, I put a gun point at your head, and if you play a note wrong, everyone will die. Really? Yes. So it's like phone booth, but he's on the piano. Yes, like phone booth with the piano. <laughs> so he's got form, I guess, maybe in thrillers. In this, in this arena. Yeah, I mean. I liked it. I think that um, if you go into it and you pretty much ignore the fact that it has Cloverfield in the title, I think you will enjoy it more. Yeah. I would say. And I think it's very clear that 
the fact that it's called Cloverfield is purely a marketing decision to make people go and see the film. And it's worked. <laughs> and it worked. Here we are. Exactly, yeah. I don't know if I would have seen it otherwise. Um, but it's interestingly uh, kind of a ballsy move, I guess. They just slapped their other movie label on this completely unrelated film. Yeah. Um, or a film that just could very easily have stood alone and just purely to make people go and see it. And the result is not like condemnation for the cynicism of that but it's like oh so interesting how does it fit into cloverfield you know yeah and like um so people seem to find it more of a fascinating kind of mystery box aspect to it rather than just simply it's just a marketing ploy which is really what it is yeah this is sort of what i was talking about with the witch in that with horror movies you have a certain amount of knowledge of tropes and conventions and how they're going to play out and that that title puts a lot of baggage you bring to the movie. Yeah. Which is a bit of a weight around its neck. Yeah, I spent a and lot of the movie watching it being like, so when will there be a giant monster attacking a city? You know? <laughs> like, it, yeah. it, was, it, it was distracting me from being invested in the story because it, it's hanging over the movie the whole time. Yeah. I, didn't, I kind of found it annoying. Also, I think, it basically, it's a movie that gets better as it goes along, I think, in the first 20 minutes or its weakest part. I think that's probably true. I think that's probably and true. And it's also like, this may be just a broader thing with movies, but something so premise-driven is like, it's annoying watching a film where you're ahead of the character and it takes them 20 minutes to get up to speed. Yeah, definitely. So it wakes up, it's like, you're in the bunker, this guy's kidnapped you. It's like, come on, get up, you know. Yeah, yeah, it's definitely true, because if you watch the trailer, then you know that there's some kind of post-apocalyptic yeah, event, yeah. she's been kidnapped, she's sitting in there, you know, or if you've listened to this review. <laughs> yeah. My final grievance with it a bit it's like it's a movie which is this happened and then this happened and then this happened not this happened and so this happens and so this happens i don't think it's as elegantly constructed as it could have been and i and i feel especially with the characters these mary elizabeth winston's character says something which is completely contradicted by all our actions and then it's like supposed to be this sort of arc but it's like she's exactly the same character at the end of the movie She's she's so resourceful at the beginning that I was never I never felt like she was in any danger, and then the other guy in the bunker is like a super nice guy. It's like between the two of them, they're going to handle this wheezy old fat man. <laughs> He's not at all dangerous. Look at him; he can't move very quickly. Yeah, that's true. And <laughs> got the run of the they place. They sort of established that he's very slow. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Chicken have been better if it was J.K. Simmons. Said John Goodman. What if Damon Chazelle been yeah, like, like, hey J.K. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, you think he seems more crazy and dangerous? Yeah. I think John Goodman's threat levels mainly just come from his sheer physical size. <laughs> <laughs> like, you know, if he ever decided to simply fall on top of one of the characters, they would be dead. Mm. You know, you can't get out from under him, I don't think. That'll be it for you. I don't know. I mean, yeah. I probably felt a bit more positive about it. Just, I don't know. I just enjoyed it. I don't. Re- I can't really say that any of your criticisms are wrong. <laughs> um, I think it's cheap. Like the characterization is sketchy. And uh, um, yeah, it's not like the most elegant movie. But for what it for what it is, I found it fun. My favorite film stars Bridget Bardot. She's the queen, but she wants to be in radio. So she starts a podcast with her friends and the terrorists try to stop her, but she beats them in the end. So in the wake of Batman v Superman, something of a landmark film, really, in terms of there's been other versus movies in the past, but never characters this well established and universally known, I guess. Yeah, definitely. So it's bigger than Freddy versus Jason. Absolutely. So I was thinking, what other fictional characters should duke it out? 
and yeah. challenge sound to think of some. I've got some of my own. I think that given the reception of Batman v Superman, pretty much any other versus movie would probably be more critically successful. Yeah. So, do you want to, shall I go first? We yeah, go I like it? it because it's like we are actually also duking it out over who comes yes. up with the best Danny versus, versus concept. Danny versus Sam. Okay, so it's about uh, this Indonesian cop. He's got to go take down this drug lord. Uh, the drug lord is, uh, had a very crazy childhood. And they go into the block and he's rigged the place with loads of little traps <laughs> made, <laughs> made from household objects. Can we sort of like guess what it is? Yes. Can I like guess? Yes, certainly. Yeah. Go for oh, it. Oh, is that it? Yeah. Um, well, it sounds like uh, The Raid versus Home Alone. Yes, it's Kevin McAllister versus Rama. <laughs> the Raid. But instead of like grenades and shoot ups, he's like just throws like a iron attached a bit of rope at him or something oh i see yeah oh he just puts like loads of marbles on the floor <laughs> and he's got to fight his way up he's got to fight his way up but he's like got loads of traps yeah that sounds really good thanks man okay here's my idea a hedge fund manager turned television personality moves to a smaller apartment in new york he loves the place but he finds himself at odds with his gangly neighbor who's got a shock of curly hair and he keeps bursting in without knocking and borrowing things without asking. Finds it very annoying. Have <laughs> you lost me? <laughs> um, that's Jim Cramer versus Cramer. <laughs> Jim Cramer being sort of fictional characters. Maybe I break the rules, but the host of CNN's Math Money versus the character Cramer from Seinfeld. Okay, <laughs> obviously. Okay, how about this? Um, there's a blind Japanese guy <laughs> wanders into a nightclub. And fights a deaf Japanese girl. <laughs> um, a blind Japanese guy fighting a deaf Japanese girl. Um, is that like Zatoichi versus the character from Babel? Yes. <laughs> Zatoichi versus Cheiko Wataya, played by Ringo Kukui in the 2006 film Babel. I think Zatoichi's got to have the upper hand there. It's a deadly swordsman. Yeah. Yeah. It's true. And she's she, just a girl. She teaches a girl. She's she? just deaf. <laughs> Yeah, okay. On this note, sorry. Just no, 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 go ahead. Was, what I, my thing was there was like, what could the blind guy fight another disability? But there's actually a film called Zatoichi versus the One-Armed Swordsman. So there's a whole really like a subsection of like disabled martial arts films I yeah. discovered. Wow. And I figured, why not the girl from Babel? Yeah, well, maybe like part of the story is that she's like trained by him and then she turns against him or something. Yeah, yeah. yeah. She needs a franchise, that character from that great film. Okay, here's my next idea. A tiny alien that looks like Eddie Murphy and pilots a spaceship that also looks like Eddie Murphy meets a man who he believes to be an extraterrestrial like himself. Eddie Murphy decides to destroy this man because he's like a rival on Earth. He's like a rival alien. But he doesn't realize that that man is not an alien. He's actually the leader of an experimental pop band who always wears a papier-mâché head. Dave V. Frank. Dave V. Frank. <laughs> Meet Dave. <laughs> yeah. Meet Dave, Dave versus Frank. You know, the title sounds so dull, but it's actually so bizarre. You're already saying the film on that title, Dave V. Frank. <laughs> What's it about? Well, obviously, it's about an alien in a little alien ship that looks like him. Yeah. <laughs> fighting the leader of a prog rock band. Yeah, exactly. Okay. Uh, so this one's about a sort of put upon ad exec guy. Who, whose um, boss is always using his flat to have sex in, and he goes home, and a massive troll, who is the henchman <laughs> of an elf king, just tries to beat him up. 
Okay. You know? Yeah. That's obviously C.C. Baxter versus Wink the Troll, the Elf King Noada's henchman from, from Hellboy to the Golden Army. Wink the Troll. Is that what he's called? Yeah. That was the apartment and. Hellboy 2. I think those universes should cross over. Yeah, that's obvious. That works yeah. on so many levels. Yeah. Yeah. Shut up and deal. Help <laughs> and look out for that elf. Yeah. That's how it punches you, troll-wise. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> yeah, he's like fending off with the, sp- uh, with the rackets. He's yeah. just throwing spaghetti at him. <laughs> yeah. Then the German doctor comes and helps him out. Yes, exactly. It goes through the entire floor of the building. It's a bit like the raid, but there's just like one troll. Do you think it's a good idea to have a troll in your apartment? It's a must! Uh, gracious living-wise. Um, okay, here's my final idea. Batman's butler visits New York City to buy Batman some fancy new silverware. But he is stopped on the way by Tony Stark's bodyguard, who believes him to be the servant of the evil Fin Fang Foom. That's obviously Alfred versus Happy Hogan. <laughs> John Favreau's character from the uh, Iron Man movies. You want to cross over DC with Marvel? Yes, it's a big, it's the biggest crossover ever in terms of like, um, you know, rival comic book franchises. Absolutely. Yeah. But the smallest crossover ever in terms of the actual characters. <laughs> yeah. So, and I'm thinking, I'm thinking like Michael Caine, Alfred, obviously. Not Jeremy Irons, Alfred. No. Don't you want to see a movie where Michael Caine fights John Favreau? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? Michael Caine's really old, but like John Favreau is not in good shape. <laughs> he's, really, he's fucking huge. He's really fat. He's massive. Does kind of old fight fat? You know who wins? Also, young... Alfred is quite clever, isn't he? Yes. And he's also he's a military man, right? He's a military man. He's got. He's past uh, forms. seen his bloody bloody Yeah. Yeah, and he's very smart, and he's also got great manners. Whereas John yeah. Favreau is a bore, and yeah, uh, yeah. you know, well-meaning. And there's a bit in Iron Man 2 where he tries to fight a bunch of people, but Scarlet Johansson is much better. Yeah. And he gets just exploded in Iron Man 3, doesn't he? Quite, he's taken out of the equation pretty quickly. Is he killed? He's not killed, but um, the villain, God. I'm the Mandarin. <laughs> or the guy Pierce breathing fire. Yeah. He, like, one of his, you know, human bombs explodes, and then, like, he's in hospital. Oh, yeah, that's right. The whole yeah. movie, which makes Tony Stark angry. And he's like, come blow up my house, and then you blow up his house. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. So I think maybe Alfred would have the... Yeah. Who do you think would win in your fights? Well... Maybe we should decide who wins. So I think Alfred wins mine. I think... Uh, I'm going to say Dave beats Frank. And uh, <laughs> I think Kramer, the Seinfeld character, is probably going to defeat Kramer, the host of Mad Money. Yeah. I think Rama beats Kevin McAllister. Because the thing about Home Alone is like those crooks were kind of bumbling. But Rama's got like, you know... He's a fucking badass, He's a fucking guy. badass, and he's like super fast, right? Yeah. So if the iron was coming towards him on a rope, he just dodge it. Yeah. You can't hit me. There's marbles out, just like backflip over them. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he would probably slip on the marbles, but just land on his feet. Yeah, exactly. And uh, I think Zatoichi would probably just kill that deaf girl. <laughs> Pretty quickly. <laughs> we don't know why. He's a master assassin. Don't, don't know, know what he's, what he's what... got against her, but... <laughs> that's, that's explained. <laughs> In the sequel. And... I think uh, it's the, in the sequel, <laughs> the massive troll wink would probably just kill Jack Lemon instantly <laughs> <laughs> with his like launcher fist connected with a, a chain. I think it's a real genius, bold move to uh, set up a conflict between two characters not explained until the sequel. I yeah. think like in Batman v Superman, they really shouldn't even get into why they're fighting until like the next movie. Yeah, you know, maybe that would. They keep on, they keep on referring to like the events. You yeah. know what happened. <laughs> 
Yes, the event, the thing you did. Yeah. The thing I did, the thing you did. And then they fight. <laughs> <laughs> this is great dialogue. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Anyway. Anyway, that was fun. Thanks for, thanks for that, Tony. That was a treat. I, would, I love to treat you. Yeah. You deserved it. After the week you've had. Okay, so next week it's going to be big movies. Batman v Superman, we'll discuss that. Maybe we'll have a little spoiler section for that. And I'm seeing My Big Fat Greek Wedding 2 with my mum. Also a huge film. Yeah. Um, yeah, and I kind of want to see Zootropolis. You might so see that. It could potentially be a real review blowout, but we'll see. Bloody hell. Have a wonderful week. Yeah. See you next time. Bye. Bye. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health-monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinarian developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.